0: The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. Not just here, or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say, we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving.
1: Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe.
2: Hey, listeners, it's your boy Armand Cafai. Steven's still in uh, Cuba. Jake Matrova on the show. Jake, how are you doing
3: today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm really excited for this week's episode.
2: Yeah, I am too. I mean, again, this is part four of our mini series talking about hashtag save the crew and MLS uh, potentially relocating the Columbus crew to Austin. Actually, it's such an interesting situation, Jake. I mean, we just just saw a logo come out uh, for Austin FC um, and to discuss that amongst other things, we have Morgan Hughes, uh, Save the Crew, Andrew Erickson from the Columbus Dispatch, and Josh Babeski from MLS in Austin to all give them their, their different viewpoints. But Jake, I want to talk about that logo. What would you make of it? Because we saw the Inter Miami logo come out, and we were both drooling over this one, but this one seems a little bit, I guess, underwhelming?
3: For as awesome as the Miami... <laughs> International Football Club Day, Miami, whatever it's called. Uh, for as awesome as that logo was, the Austin FC logo was equally as kind of just meh. Um, there, in my opinion, there are, are ten logos in MLS that are worse than it, but there are also ten logos in MLS that are better than it. It it kind of it's 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 fine on its own. It's whatever. It's not. It's not all that great, though. I mean, it's a solid logo. Like like I said, there are there are certainly worse ones in the league uh, than it. But what are what are your takes on that?
2: Well, Jake, I feel like it's a logo that it looks meh right now, but I do feel like in the coming weeks and months, if MLS uh, ends up going to Austin, they'll grow on me. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a logo to relate it to uh, in MLS that, you know, that grew on me because i mean it's kind of i feel like uh, i don't know i can't think of any off top of my head i mean i think it's a really nice logo but i mean at the same time you're losing the one of the columbus crew which i think is black and yellows a beautiful color scheme to go with it it, it, i think it's just crazy to me jake that we're hearing mls uh austin stuff coming out like logos and stuff like that when we don't even know if the team is officially relocated yet I, i find that very fascinating and Against one of the topics that we're going to hit on, uh, especially uh, with uh, Morgan. But, but but overall, Jake. I mean, what what do you make of you know getting a logo and getting all that stuff you know before the team's officially relocated?
3: It's definitely interesting timing, I, to, to say the least. I, I think, you know, and we we try to remain, I guess, neutral as 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 best we can here on this show in regards to this issue. But to me, I think it's a little—I don't know if disingenuous is the right word to use—or, uh, but to, out of place. But to me, it—it kind of seems as like, like like a big middle finger to save the crew fans to release this to release this logo before you even announce that they are going to relocate that team. Now, obviously, there's lawsuits and litigations, and we'll talk to, about that uh, with Andrew Erickson as it regards to uh, the model Law and. And all, and all those things going on in the state of Ohio that potentially could keep the crew in Columbus you know for, you know for you know 2019 and beyond uh, but but to me when you you know when you're talking about relocating a team taking a fan some you know these fans the city of Ohio's team away from them but you haven't announced it yet and you're gonna go out and and, and release a new logo and a new name and a new color scheme to me that just kind of seems like a kick in the crotch I don't know if you Feel the same way
2: about that? No, I do. I do. I genuinely do. I do. I feel like, uh, look, if MLS is going to go to Austin, MLS is going to go to Austin. You know, nothing's going to stop them uh, unless something you know pops up, and a I guess a, a Columbus owner says or a Columbus person says, "Hey, I want to invest a lot of money into this team to keep them here," but to release it when a team's not uh, is not officially relocated, it's, it's wrong. I uh, feel like it's it's very wrong, and I don't I don't agree with it. But you know. It, it happened, so it's, it's not something I can go back and say, "Oh, you know, I wish it didn't happen." It happened. We got, we got the, we got this logos. We got all that stuff. I just feel like it's so weird because this team hasn't officially relocated yet. We're still, <laughs> we're still dealing with all this litigation. So, I mean, that's where we're at right now, guys. I uh, hope you enjoy all three interviews, and we'll talk to you all at the end of the show. Joining us now on the show is our Columbus insider. Uh, He works for Columbus Dispatch, Andrew Erickson. He's been all over this uh, Save the Crew situation and covering the team as well. Andrew, how are you doing tonight?
4: Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
3: Andrew, can you give us the latest update on the pending lawsuit between MLS, uh, Anthony Precourt, the Columbus Crew, and the state of Ohio?
4: Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's actually going, um, you know, you'll have your first in-person event in this, in this uh, lawsuit that's been going on since March on September 4th, there's supposed to be a um, hearing on the MLS and pre-court sports ventures motion to dismiss the lawsuit. Um, So each side will have 45 minutes to explain their viewpoints, um, you know, and, and, and try to argue their case to the judge. Um, And then after that point, Um, you know, I, am not sure what the specific timeline would be, but the judge will then rule the motion to dismiss. Um, if the case is not dismissed, then it will continue on, um, likely toward the discovery process. Um, if it is dismissed, then I'm sure there'll be an appeal, you know, almost immediately after, um, by Columbus and Ohio. So, um, I, I think it'll be interesting, you know, the fact that this, this lawsuit's been going on for a good while now that you finally see the, see both sides in an, in an open courtroom
2: absolutely and we talked to uh i think it was eric stover uh jake and he mentioned uh uh that you know other cities could look at the Model law as kind of like hey like this could be you know uh used as maybe like a blueprint or whatnot uh to like hey may prevent some teams from i guess moving uh do you see that it could potentially get as like it could have bigger implications than just the save the crew side of things
4: Sure. I mean, yeah, depending on what's decided, you're you're looking at a law that's that's never been tested before and, and an issue that's that's sort of been tested, but never really in this context. So I think the landmark potential and the the you know potential to set a precedent in this case is um is vast. And I think you have likely other sports leagues, other other ownership groups of other teams and, and leagues throughout the United States and, and Canada, I guess you could say, looking at, you know, what the potential implications could be of this case and um, I'm sure if you're a commissioner of another league, you're, you're probably um, pretty nervous, or, or at least paying close attention as to what might happen. So I think there there are parties that are more interested um, in this beyond beyond Major League Soccer ownership groups and, and league executives, um, and then I think it, it can even expand to businesses outside of the sports industry. You know, we're talking about the, the dormant commerce clause and basic parts of the U.S. Constitution and the Ohio Constitution that dictate you know when it, when and when when businesses have the freedom to move and, and when they don't and when the government can be a reg- regulator and when it can't be so it's uh it's fascinating in that sense just the constitutional impacts this could potentially have and um the impacts it could have both in and outside the the sports industry
3: Andrew obviously you're you're not a lawyer uh but do you get the feeling that this I am ca- not. <laughs> yes. do you get the feeling that this case will be drawn out have you spoken with anybody who's Maybe giving you an opinion one way or the other, how this might play out.
4: I think if it's if it's litigated to you know the very end, I think it could take years. I mean, these are not simple issues. You have two sides that would seem to um, you know be be you know disagree quite heavily um, in, in how they view the interpretation of this law, and so. Even if it's decided one way, um, you know, in in December or January or whenever a trial is supposed to take place, I think you could see appeals after that. You could see different interpretations at different levels of the court system, um, and all that takes a significant amount of time. Um, There's always a potential for a settlement um, or or for a quicker decision, um, and or you know, one side not pursuing it further, but. I think if, if both sides stay entrenched in where they are, I mean, this thing could take years. So it's a, it's a fascinating subject in that sense. And, um, you know, I think you start to look at timelines of, you know, (laughs) could a a five-year case prevent a team from moving? I I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily possible, but um, you know, this thing could be, could be in the courtroom for, for a significant period of time and uh, you know, long after uh, you know, long, long after September 4th, that's for sure.
2: Wow. Is there have you is there are you aware of like any meetings that, you know, have taken place between the City of Columbus and PSV? I mean, I feel like all we hear about is a uh, PSV and the uh Austin City Council, but is there been anything between Columbus and Precore Sports Ventures
4: that you know of? Not Columbus and Not Columbus and Precore Sports Ventures. I think those sides have been, you know, pretty uh pretty far apart and you know, pre-court sports ventures has been very uh, determined in their efforts to, to try to get a team to Austin. Uh, Columbus has been focused on their own efforts to to keep a team here and to potentially purchase the current iteration of, of this team. Um, I, I don't think there's been a ton of interaction there, but for the most part, any interaction that's, that's taken place on the Columbus side of things has been directly with Major League Soccer. And I think if this thing progresses and it continues, that, that will continue to be the case.
3: Andrew, following uh, the Austin City Council uh, vote to approve the stadium to be built on the McCullough Place, Precourt mentioned he was bringing MLS to Austin in 2019. Is there a sense that he could sell the crew and leave? Uh, sell the crew and leave them in Columbus while bringing in an expansion club to Austin? I'm, I know I'm getting pretty speculative here, but uh, are we reading too much into his to his words there?
4: I mean you know, I think it certainly leaves that wiggle room, whether that would happen, I think is, you know, I I think is again, completely speculative, speculative. Um, I think their plan, at least when this whole thing started was to have a team playing in Austin in 2019 and and for it to be this current iteration of the crew Um, that moves down there with, with all of its infrastructure, Um, you know, whether that happens, I think we'll find out, you know, in the next couple months here, I think potentially the lawsuit could have an impact on that. Um, But I, I don't think, um, I, I think to say, you know, it's firmly one way or the other, um, you know, that, that would be probably irresponsible on my end. Um, but you know, I think at least from the very beginning, their intention has been to to have a team playing there in 2019. So until further notice, I, I would think that that's, that's what they're shooting for. Um, but you know, can't, can't say definitively that, that that's what it is until, until that type of thing is announced.
2: Absolutely. Andrew And uh I saw on Twitter, uh, that looked like, uh, season ticket renewal emails were being uh, sent out. Uh, Have you got a sense on how fans are reacting to that?
4: Well, uh, you know, I I think there's some, you know, there was some disappointment from the fan base in the Mm -hmm. sense that here you are sending out and, and, you know, mind you, this, this email had been, um, you know, the possibility of it had been there for about a month. The, The league, or I'm sorry, the team had sent, fans a uh, you know, heads up that hey this email's coming um, sometime around August 15th. expect your you know auto renewal email to come through. Um, so the the renewal email did come through and says you know if you have any updated credit card info to put that in um, if you want to change your seats now is your time to explore that not necessarily the same season ticket marketing campaign that launched or you know last August where you have will trap and and all these different players marketing season ticket packages that's not on that same scale but more of, you know, keeping the fans um, engaged who do have season tickets. Uh, But I think there was some disappointment in the sense that that comes through. And then two days later, you have uh, MLS2ATX announcing its Austin FC branding, its logo, you know, the same tree logo that a lot of fans pointed out was on the TIFO during the November playoff game. Um, And so – you know, it's uh, it's kind of a touchy subject, and I think the the timing is, is certainly um, you know was disappointing for a lot of fans in that sense.
3: Andrew, I want to shift gears here a little bit away from the possible relocation of the crew, and actually talk about the team on the field. I'm sure uh, you've been <laughs> you've had to talk a lot about Save the Crew recently. Um, But the crew are right in the the thick of things as it relates to the Eastern Conference playoff picture. With the recent news out of Austin, how have the players and coaching staff been handling it?
4: You know, I I think at this point they're almost numb to it. I I had a conversation with with Josh Williams um, after the city council vote on the term sheet came down. and. He just said, you know, it's, it's business as usual. And and even though there might be a little bit more clarity on the situation, it's not like it's it's completely determined. So they'll kind of keep pushing on how they have been. And he was almost taken aback when I, I reminded him that, you know, it's been almost a year in this whole process that, that it actually has been that long. Um, I think one benefit, and I know we've talked about it for the team, was they had that dry run of the 2017 playoffs to get used to insulating themselves. Um, if they want it to be a rallying issue, they can they can certainly make it that. Uh, but they've been, for the most part, been able to keep it from becoming a distraction. Um, you know, whether that can continue for the length of the season, certainly, you know, as these decisions and as these conversations become more real as as far as the future of the team, I don't know. But the team certainly has done a good job of compartmentalizing things to this point. And, you know, like I said, it's it's already been almost 11 months in this process. So they've, they've certainly become experts in that respect.
2: No, ab- no, absolutely, Andrew. I mean, it's been it's been a while. Um I was actually looking at the standings uh actually before the show and I was talking uh, to Jake and it seems like the union are slowly creeping up on the crew actually right now, uh in terms of uh uh points. I think they're four points behind, but they have one game in hand. Uh the crew have had an interesting, you know, run of games. Uh they played that game uh, against Chicago, it's only eight thousand reported in attendance and it looked a lot less.
4: Uh they were a they lot play- less than that. Yeah, yeah they looked not, a not lot all lot of them less. showed up, I can say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, the, the good old FC Dallas, uh, sell That's what we call it down here in Texas. Um, but, uh, then the Atlanta United game, uh, which the crews and like played really well until uh, a couple of bad moments here or there. Um, what, what do you make, what, you, what do you, you make of how the team has been playing, uh, recently?
4: Yeah, I, I think they've had a tough stretch. Um, when you looked at that stretch they had over the summer where they were at LA galaxy at LAFC, um, had a couple of difficult home games, one against Atlanta United, um, you know, I, I think they had a really tough stretch. They were, I think, four shutouts in five games and had just one win. So they were, they were really struggling for a second there. And then they had the stretch of three games where they won three um, in a row by one goal, um, including a road win at the Red Bulls. They had that will trap bomb from 30 yards that, that helped them beat Orlando City. And they had that uh, late Jossie Zardes goal that, that helped them win in stoppage time over Houston. So it's a team that's been able to grind out games. They're already tied for second in major league soccer history in terms of uh, stoppage time winners um, with three. So um, I think mean, the only team ahead of them was that 2012 San Jose Earthquakes team that had five. So, it, you know, it's a team that, that knows how to grind out results. I don't, I don't think they're, they're going to overpower um, any, any team like Atlanta or an NYC or any, any other team like that on a given night. But I think they've shown they can compete with just about anyone, whether they can do it on a consistent basis and, and whether they can, um, get themselves into a, uh, into, into a comfortable fourth place position. I don't know. Like you said, the union seem to be gathering momentum and starting to creep up on them a little bit. I don't think there's any danger at this point of the crew missing the playoffs. They still, I think have a, a seven point lead on, uh, on the Montreal impact and have a, a game in hand over them. Um, and Montreal has seven games to play. So, you know, I, I think if you look at the 538 rankings, they have the crew at a 98% chance of making the playoffs, but It'll be interesting to see if they get that, that one game at Moffrey Stadium and the, the one-off knockout round. That'll be very important for them, obviously. But they've shown that you know they have the, the resolve and the nerve to be able to to win a game on the road. Um, you know they, they did it last year in Atlanta. So it's a team that's certainly capable of doing that. Obviously, they can they can do themselves some favors by by getting that home game for the knockout round.
3: Andrew, we've seen Zach Steffen uh, been linked. He's been linked to clubs in Europe. Uh, could we see him make a move uh, across the pond uh, before the start of next season?
4: I, I think that's, yeah, it's certainly plausible. Um, and I, I think, you, you know, you look at a couple things. First of all, <clears throat> there's just the general uncertainty um, of the team. You, you look at, you know, where the team is going to be playing next year. That's still to be determined. Um, you look at, you know, the future of the coach that brought Steph- Zach Steffen back to the United States and Greg Berhalter. There's been a lot of speculation of could he be linked to the United States national team job. Um, so there's some uncertainty there. And I think you also looked at, look at the guy's career trajectory. I mean, this is, this is a guy that at 23 years old, um, is already one of the best keepers in MLS and, and has a bright national team future ahead of him. And I think wants to be challenged. So obviously the English work permit, uh, thing would be challenging for him. I think he'd have to get a few more caps over the next couple of years to, to make that more of a certainty. Certainly it's still a possibility for him to get that on appeal, um, but I I think he does have aspirations of playing in Europe and I think of doing so sooner rather than later. So, um, I certainly see that as a possibility. You know, I don't, I wouldn't say certainty, but, um, you know, if you think of guys on the crew that, that, that fits their career trajectory, I I would certainly say that's the case with Zach seven.
2: Absolutely. Andrew. And on the topic of Greg Berhalter, uh, you mentioned it. Uh, he's a candidate for us men's national team position. And I feel like there's been a couple of hints here or there that have kind of pointed to an MLS coach being named the, the national team coach in your eyes. Why, why, why Berhalter? Why do you think USSF has uh, kind of locked in on maybe a Berhalter and a Vermese as, you know, their top picks to be the national team coach?
4: Well, yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I defer to what Greg burhalter said on this and that, you know, if there are conversations to be had on that, there, there are conversations to be had later and, and not, you know, right this very moment with the season going on. But, um, you know, I, I think, he's respected throughout the league as a, as a tactical mind and and somebody who can get the most out of certain positions. Um, And I think the, the question, a lot of people have have raised is, you know, with a full, with a full slate of, of talented pool players, um, what could he do with that? And obviously the crew has had one of the lower budgets in the league and hasn't spent like a lot of other, a lot, a lot of other clubs in major league soccer, but the crew has still been fairly competitive over the last five years. So, um, I think you look at that track record, you look at you know his his ability to manipulate tactics and um, see him as a potential candidate there.
3: Andrew, thank you so much for your time uh, today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter and any other social media platform you want to plug away.
4: Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at a Erickson CD. Um, you can find all of our coverage on dispatch.com slash crew SC and uh, you know, you can keep up with our coverage on the dispatch crew, uh, crew Facebook page. And that's, you know, now over 1200 members. So, um, you know, follow, follow along with all of our coverage that way. And, you know, still a lot more to
3: cover left in the season. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time tonight, uh, Andrew. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks guys.
2: Joining us now on the show is the leader of Hashtag Save the Crew, Morgan Hughes. Morgan, how are you doing today, man?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm. Uh, it's a It's a beautiful night here in Columbus. I'm on my back porch, uh, back deck, so I apologize. If, like the cicadas are ruining <laughs> the uh, audio, but it's like cicada season right now. So you'll be hearing the screaming bugs that those of us in Columbus have been trying to sleep through for you know the last couple months. So welcome to Ohio.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely morgan and uh, this whole i guess last couple of weeks and months i mean it's been a really i guess busy busy time for y'all no
0: yeah um life has been really really busy since october 16th uh, of last year and you know it's almost i almost no. i think that none of us even notice it anymore um the the blistering pace at which life goes but uh you know here we are and it's still
3: happening <laughs> morgan can you give us your thoughts on the austin city council vote that went down two weeks essentially approving uh anthony precourt the i don't know if rights the right word to build at the mccullough place to uh, build a new stadium
0: yeah it was um You
3: know, I think the,
0: uh, I think that, you know, like the overwhelming opinion from save the crew in general has been, you know, whatever, what, what happens in Austin doesn't affect us. Uh, The future of the crew is not going to be decided in Austin, Texas. And the future of the crew is not in Austin, Texas in general. You know, it's here in Columbus and, uh, whenever MLS pulls their head out of their ass and, and sells the crew to local ownership, you know, there we go. That that's the future of the crew. So, you know all that to say you know we were still I think all of us were kind of paying attention uh because we're so heavily involved in this situation um it was uh I don't know it was there were a lot of things going through my head um you know I was uh I was excited frankly that Anthony precord um is gone you know like there's no coming back from that um uh, so it was kind of a celebratory day in that Anthony Precourt is now someone else's problem, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, like I, I feel for the people of Austin um, who now have to kind of have this man baby uh, as a member of uh, their business community in some absentee fashion. So, you know, I feel for the people of Austin. I'm excited for the people of Columbus and, and all uh, emotions in between.
2: Right. And you and you, you talked about uh, in a piece uh, by Andrew King of The Athletic, I mean, you talked about how r- regardless of what happens, the quote from the article, uh, there's going to be appeals. The thing is going to litigate for years and years and years. The question is, how long is MLS going to let this play out? How long is Don Garber going to let this dumpster fire burn? And you don't really make it sound all, you know, like glo- uh, gloomy for the crew in Columbus um, based off that last vote. Uh, how confident are you that you know the crew are going to be playing soccer in twenty nineteen in Columbus and beyond
0: you know i so that question is so has asked of me so often and and it, and it is the right question to ask i'm not saying it isn't uh i but but I'm saying that i'm asked that so often, and my answer is is always the same thing, and it makes it seem like it's a canned response and it's not legitimate and it's not authentic but uh it just so happens to be true that i've never been more confident about the crew being saved than i am at this moment uh everything that i know and everything that i hear and um all the information that we have points towards the columbus crew being sold to local ownership and uh anthony Frecourt, i don't even care um frankly what what he does but all signs point to the crew being saved it's just uh crossing the T's and dotting lowercase J's and and, uh, getting it signed over. And I I can't wait for it to be over, frankly. I think that uh, myself and all the other leaders have saved the crew and all of the fans of the crew and, you know, basically just everyone in Columbus needs to sleep. We need to rest and it's, you know, the playoffs are looming and it's time to just start focusing on on soccer again. And I can't wait um, for that to happen. So, yeah, I'm confident as hell that the crew will be here in 2019 and 2049 and 2099 and all the nines after that.
3: Morgan save the crew recently released renderings of a new stadium, or a, I guess maybe it was maybe a renovated map free stadium. It's uh, beautiful by the way. I thought it was like, I thought it was pretty cool. I don't
2: know about you Jake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was awesome.
3: Yeah. Definitely an upgrade over uh map free stadium for <laughs> sure. Um, obviously PSV is looking for a new stadium. Um, in Austin. But beyond that, what was the motivation behind coming up with those renderings and you know you know, the new renovation for Matt Stadium? Well, um
0: I you know, I, I think that if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's you know, why do that? And um again, I think it's a valid question, but I think that it's answered sim- simply in that save crew is just a is just a thing that humans put together and humans always are looking to do what's next. And what's like, I don't know. Why do we go to the moon? Like, you know, why, why do we keep building taller buildings? We do it because it's what's next. You know, we, we are not, we are not rigid, you know, things we are, we are moving objects and save the crew is a bunch of people who are like progressive forward thinking individuals. And, we kind of were sitting there and we're like, you know, they, they talk about this downtown stadium in Columbus. They talk of their parallel paths, but we've only seen stadium renderings for Austin. You know, what if we try to render a stadium? We obviously, none of us had ever done that before. And, but you know, here we are as human beings, we do cool things because it's the next thing to do. and, And that's why we did it. And I think it turned out really well.
2: And uh, just out of curiosity, Morgan, I I didn't see a projected cost on that. Was it just like a picture renderations and stuff like that, or uh, did you guys uh or was that like kind of like the next step of like okay, like if this happens, like we'd like this, and then we could determine the cost from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, like if we if we're gonna be the ones that end up financing it, and spoiler, we will not be the ones that finance it. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 we do not have that kind of scrap, <laughs> uh, you know, then we would talk about costs, but you know, what, what we do is we kind of, you know, we want to, I don't think that we have the answer on how to save the crew. I don't think that save the crew ever did. Um, and I think that was probably our biggest, you know, thing in the beginning. Like, you know, we have this groundswell of support and everyone was like, okay, let's do it. How do we save the crew? And we're like, Oh crap. We don't know uh so what what we've done instead of telling people this is how you do it now everyone press that button and let's be done with it we said let's imagine a future together and let's define it and let's make it as a construct like as neat and inclusive and badass and forward thinking as possible and that stadium rendering was just a manifestation of that of us saying here's what the future could look like if you invest in humans in, in communities, instead of man babies with, with trust funds, invest in the humans that that made it possible for your league to be here. And the future is bright and the sky is the limit. So that's what the stadium renderings were. And that's, you know, like, if you ask me how much it costs, I'm like, my brain doesn't think on that level. I don't, I mean, like 150 million, uh, a billion, 700 billion. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with that level of a uh, of cash. So, uh,
3: Morgan, that's my answer. Morgan, can you can you talk about the support Save the Crew has received from other MLS fan bases outside of Columbus?
0: Um, man, I you know, yes, I can. I think I'll do a terrible job of it because it's been so crazy and and so massive and. And so worldwide, uh, I mean, just yesterday I saw this video I retweeted on Twitter of this uh, A-League game in Australia where, you know, like there some supporter section had this gigantic crowd banner that said, save the crew. And it had like a picture of Iguain, like Marum, I think, on it or something. It was just like mind-blowing. So, yeah, I can talk about it. But I think that it's just going to be another one of those things that, that we won't really understand the scope of until – you know, the book is written or the 30 for 30 comes out, you know, 20 years from now. But, uh, it's been absolutely heart-stoppingly, emotionally overwhelming and, and really like important and cool and, uh, yeah, emotional, man. Like you kind of, you kind of live your life and you think, uh, you know, if I, if I can be a part of something, if I could stand up for someone if I could be if I could resonate, wouldn't that be neat? I mean it's like why people name their kids after them because they just want to kind of like they want some echo, they want to resonate, they want to continue and and to to kind of watch that happen for our community in a moment where we were we were kind of being thrown aside and and uh cast away to see. Our community resonate. It's special and really, really overwhelmingly emotional. And I, I'm so honored to have been a part of it.
3: How much, uh, how much outreach have you guys received from fans of AFC Wimbledon over in Eng- England? Obviously, their their club MK Dons was was taken for them. I, I don't don't even know how many years ago that was twenty, thirty years ago. Um, how, how, I know they yeah. put up, they put up like a program. I, I saw. I think it must have been sometime last season or uh even after that uh have you guys had any conversations with any of their supporters groups about you know the relocation of a of a club
0: yeah uh they've reached out you know and by day like you know what who do I mean i mean i have no idea <laughs> so many people over there have reached out and have you know at the very least lent their their voice and and their uh you know and their hearts to us and said we know what you're going through and Yeah. Like you mentioned, they had a thing in their, um, in their program. It's kind of the uh, I don't really pay attention really a lot to soccer outside of MLS. Um, I'm like a, I'm like a Columbus guy, you know, and and Mm -hmm. the crew are sports team here and that's how I got into it. So like, I'm not like a fan of any London team or, or, you know, German team. I, so I'm really kind of unfamiliar with that, but I know that anytime I talk to somebody over there or I'm interviewed by, you know, an outlet over there, you know, like a BBC or, or what have you, they will mention it. And I will have to say the same thing again. Like, you know, yes, it's, a, it's something that they've reached out, all of their fans and, you know, even their organization, but I'm not really sure what, the, uh, what to say about it other than, like, I hope that we're able to prevent the thing that happened to them.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's, it's pre- and the cra- the crazy thing is I mean with the open pyramid uh you have I think Wimbledon and uh MK Dons in the same division now in uh in England which is kind of just like a massive middle finger to uh, to to the, to the other side. But Morgan, I want we we were talking about this a little bit uh off the mic. Uh what do you think of that new Austin FC logo that uh was just released uh a week ago or even less than a week ago?
0: Well, my first Thoughts were um, honestly, how dare you? Uh, with you know, PSV, and you know, th- when I, when I talk about our community, um, I don't just mean the fans of the crew. I don't just mean the, the residents of Columbus. I, you know, I I don't just mean the residents that are fans. There are also real human beings in the front office of the Columbus Crew that have real families and real bills and, and real mortgage payments and real kids and they have paper real braces and put real foods on real tables. And Anthony Precord hasn't addressed them, and it's been over ten months. And so you see this 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 man baby down in Austin, you know, high fiving astroturf participants and and you know throwing on these these crappy made in China scarves and releasing this just very bland meh logo. And I'm angry for the front office here in Columbus. I'm angry for the people that have all of those real considerations and and careers that i just mentioned so that was the first thing i thought how dare you man baby um do you have a soul like what are you doing with with your existence my second thought was meh i mean it's just it's not bad it's not certainly not good it's just but how do you like i also feel for the designers who came up with it like you know come up with an authentically ambitious uh logo for a team that doesn't exist for a soccer organization that has no history other than a destructive one uh, and make it and make it good. And you can't do it. I mean, it's a no win scenario. So, you know, I mean, they, they kind of copied one of our, one of our TIFOs and I mean, that's the easy way out. It's, it just seemed to me like precord probably hired somebody for not enough money and didn't give them enough time. Because that's what he does. He doesn't put the effort in that's necessary, and he's an idiot.
3: Final answer. Uh, Martin, a couple more questions here for you before we let you go. Um, American sports have felt and dealt with relocation uh, quite a bit. I mean, you have the Seattle Supersonics relocating to uh, Oklahoma City, uh, the San Diego Chargers relocating to uh, L.A., and now the Oakland Raiders. Uh, in the NFL, also also relocating to Las Vegas here. I don't know if it's next year, or the year after that. Um, although there's been uproar, uh, people seem to forget and move on. Do you think MLS will MLS fans will do the same?
0: Well, no, no, I don't. I think that we're proving that we don't. Um, you know, first of all, there are um, there are exercises in, in in comparisons, right? And then there are there are fallacies. And I think where we, you know, what we forget is that comparing, you know, the, the, the attempted theft of the theft of the Columbus crew to like, you know, the, the Javs moving to Utah in like 1975 is a false equivalency. Like these are not two scenarios that that can be, they have one thing in common and, and, and 99,000 things not in common. So like, Yes. Has it happened before? Have sports teams moved? Absolutely. I don't see how that's relevant other than maybe like we're sick and tired of bullshit and we're not taking it anymore. And Anthony Precourt was the last guy that tried to get away with it. Um, Yeah. I think that everyone's sick of it. This is what's been almost a year now and you still see, these displays at every MLS game and you, you see say the crew as an organization getting stronger and more powerful and their voices, you know, becoming more aligned. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that the, the mental image I have is that there's a, there's a country club somewhere that Anthony Precourt kind of like is a legacy at, right? Like he never even joined it. Like his daddy probably just belonged to it. And, you know, he walks in, and, and there are people there that belong there, and you know they probably actually earned their money, wasn't just gifted to them, and they probably watched this guy walk in, and they're like, "You idiot! All you had to do, all you had to do was not screw this up, but you screwed it up for all of these these rich elites that try to steal money and steal you know pieces of communities for profit, and you screwed it up. How dare you? So I think that that is the future. I think that that is the Unavoidable conclusion to the save the crew struggle is, as soon as it as soon as the crew is sold, the next day is a new era. This can't happen anymore. We're writing the playbook. And we're writing the blueprints on how to push back against people that try to destroy communities because they like melted cheese. Like, get out of our face, you idiot man, baby. You can't do this, and your people can't do this to us anymore.
2: Absolutely Morgan and our fi- my final question, or our final question. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've been you've been asked uh this, but if if MLS came up if MLS decided and said, Hey look, we want pre we want pre court to go to Austin, but we will give Columbus an expansion spot within I guess I guess five five years with new local ownership, would you guys take that or would would uh, would you guys accept that as a solution, or that's completely out the window? You just want to say you just want to uh, save the crew.
0: Yeah, the last part. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. the latter. It, you know, I we could, that, you know, I think I think that's a, a valid, legitimate question, and and it's something that we've been asked. You know, all of us involved in save the crew since day one. Um, but you know, I I have to, and I and I know this is going to sound like a canned response, and I, I think that that you guys can tell that I'm not a canned response guy, but it's just going to come out like it. Uh, you know, I can't operate in a world of hypothetical scenarios because it would take away from what is actually happening. Um, you know, what if, you know, what if like all of the parallel universes, like something happens, and a black hole collapses and the San Jose earthquakes don't exist anymore. And then the Houston dynamo are back. And, you know, like you can, t- you can think about that and talk about that. It would just be a waste of energy, man. You know, I, we love the Columbus crew and and it's not just a team. It's not just like a designation. It's a, it's a community. And they are members of that community that are on the team and that are people who gave birth to people on the team. And, you know, people that have connections to, you know, relatives that have passed away through this thing. and, And when they go there, they spiritually feel like they're with them again. And, you know, this is this is not an expansion slot to us i know that it is to others people maybe on the other side of this argument Uh, to us it's it's a real thing that exists and we're real human beings and we're not trying to save an expansion slot we're trying to save our crew so like expansion slot yes or no i i can't even right now save the crew final answer
3: Morgan, thank you so much for your time uh, today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can follow you on Twitter and where we can find anything Save the Crew related. Sure, uh, I'm on Twitter at Morgan
0: underscore Hughes. Um, save the Crew is on Twitter at Save underscore the underscore cr- uh, Crew, which is tells you probably who registered that account. Um, <laughs> save the Crew dot com <laughs> uh, is really the. The central hub of the resistance whatever you need and whatever question you may have about our movement how you can get involved how you can help please go there we've been building it ever since day one of this movement and all of the answers are there uh go take our 2019 uh season ticket pledge if you're in columbus or you're in ohio or you travel games we're taking pledges for uh season tickets whenever the crew is sold and uh Just remember that, man, this is not over. Keep telling everyone you know, we're going to save the crew.
3: All righty. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thanks, guys. show today is the president and founder of MLS in Austin. It's Josh Babetsky. Josh, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Not a problem. Uh, it, I just kind of wanted to start the interview off by asking a little bit about your background. Um, in your uh, On the MLSinAustin.org website, it mentions that you've been a consultant for soccer ownerships and interests. Can you... Elaborate on that a little bit more and uh, kind of explain to our listeners what that exactly means.
1: Yeah, when I moved to Austin in 2013 from New York City, uh, I immediately started getting involved in the local soccer community. Um, There was a a supporters group then at the time for the Austin Aztecs, and I, I quickly got to know some of the owners. Um, And then just over a period of time, just got involved with trying to uh, help the then Aztec club try and get more, you know, more prominence, better fan engagement. Uh, They were trying to really kind of grow out a a secondary uh, supporters group and were looking, you know, they were looking to kind of just broaden uh, their community engagement. And this is, of course, before they got washed away in in 2015. Um, So, you know, basically between during that time. We kind of applied my my technology by trade is in the tech sector, um, but basically applying a lot of that startup uh, and online community engagement and trying to apply that to growing soccer uh, supporter and culture. And then in parallel to that, I was in a city where uh, I thought had really good potential for an MLS club, which then led to the starting the MLS in Austin project. Josh, when
2: the the Aztecs you know, fell apart, I mean, what what was your thought? What was your thoughts when they uh, eventually fell apart? Was it like, oh, is there not interest here, or I mean, what was just general thoughts on when they uh, fell apart? I guess.
1: No, I mean, at the time in 2015, it was largely just situational. So earlier in the season, their home field had kind of got washed, literally washed away. Um, there was a flood near the the, the field where they had played. Um, and um, it was a turf field, and it, it bl- rippled and, and washed up the turf, making the facility unusable for the balance of the season. Um, and this caused them to kind of go into a mad scramble to play in a- another location, which was very north of the city, up in Round Rock, which is kind of northeast of Austin. If you kind of look at downtown Austin as a clock, uh, it's kind of like way up at one, one o'clock. Um, yeah. And one, so your your demographics, your attendees shift. Um, two, that facility was also a school-owned facility, so there was a lot of restrictions on uh, concession revenue. They couldn't sell alcohol on the premises. Um, it was surrounded by a sea of parking lots because it's part of a, just a larger sports complex. Um, and it's a pretty far uh, commute, even if you live in Austin proper, to get up there versus uh, that other facility, which was much more downtown. Uh, so at the time it was just like, it really was a string of, of bad luck uh, of trying to kind of get a facility up and running. It wasn't until really when they announced they weren't coming back for the 2016 season,
3: which it was more of
1: like, Oh, well, this is
3: not ideal. Josh, I wanted to kind of move, uh, well, switch gears really uh, to our interview last week with Chris Bills of the Austin American statesman uh we had asked him a question just kind of about who you were and he he mentioned that in his article that you had a, a five-year plan to bring mls to austin can you talk about your plan
1: well it was more than a five-year plan i just we're in year five of that plan um and it's just kind of worked out so it didn't really start out with a five-year vision it just started out with uh you know originally we were kind of shooting for you know around 2020 2022 uh, to attract an expansion team. Um, the premise of MLS in Austin when, we, uh, when it started in December of 2013 uh, had three main mission goals. Uh, one, uh, attract an ownership group to Austin, Texas. Two, attract the, t- the attention of the league. Um, and three, attract, uh, create awareness with the local uh, government agencies and, and city resources uh, that would be needed to bring a team to town. Um, Austin is a very big soccer town. It's just hard to see it from afar because there was kind of no center of gravity to uh, coalesce all the various uh, support for all the various teams around town.
2: Absolutely, Josh. There was—I I, know—I I feel like you've probably been asked this a lot. Uh, there was a—you—you you made that post in February of 2017. You know, I guess, kind of speculating the, uh, that the Crew could be a team that could relocate. Uh, to Austin, what prompt did you create that post? Because I know there's been a lot of people like, whoa, why is he, why is he making this thing? And then you know, like, s- s- not uh, eight months later, it's actually um, come to fruition.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Pelican, the Columbus Crew Pelican brief, but uh, I've heard somebody uh, mention it. Um, <laughs> in the process of trying to attract an expansion team. Um, Around the end of 2016, a a number of things were happening. One, the the league announced they wanted a more kind of structured expansion process uh, around the then four remaining slots, because earlier that year, Don Garber had announced he was probably only taking the the, uh, league up to 28 clubs under his tenure. Um, Two was the Barrett Sports Group uh, started doing surveys here in Austin, Texas, uh, around I think December of twenty six, December January twenty sixteen, uh, January twenty seventeen, um, and three of all the cities that were submitting bids, Austin was not one of them. Yet Austin continued to be name dropped by the league, uh, in a number of different outlets, all, all of which can be sourced. And the article does kind of you know highlight some of those things. Um, so as somebody who's had spent a lot of time trying to understand how the league works, the mechanics of single entity ownership. Um, just trying to kind of figure out the the best mechanics and system to attract a club, and that did that, that ranged everything from trying to talk to people within the league, talking to reporters both locally and you know wherever we can find, and, and reading, consuming a lot of information about how the league itself worked. Um, it dawned on me there was it was a simple math equation at the end of the day. League keeps talking about Austin. Austin doesn't have ownership group. Um, uh, league says expansion teams are only coming from applicant pool for expansion clubs. Ergo, there's only one other way to bring a club to Austin. And it really was that simple. And then the second part of that is like, okay, well then who, um, you know, who would be a logical uh, club? Uh, And then you start looking at the data and and Columbus just leaps off the page as as being the most likely club for relocation. So, uh, and I kind of spell out kind of some of that logic there. No, and that's kind of was the that was kind of the uh, the outline of the uh, the thesis
3: Josh um, so much has been made about the Austin clause that was built into the sale of the crew uh, when Anthony precourt bought the club back in 2013 now you mentioned obviously in your last answer that you had connected the crew to Austin just based off of just doing some research within MLS and how the mechanics work uh, did you have any prior knowledge to the Austin clause before the uh, announcement that, that the crew were looking into a potential relocation?
1: No. I mean, and even up until, like, I guess Dungarmer semi confirmed its existence, like, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, I just thought it was just hearsay and, and rumor as well. It's just, it seemed very weird that there would be a. Purchase agreement for a club in 2013, but only had one specific city listed as a potential place you could relocate it to. It just it kind of seemed a little far afield. Um, now, the only other really data was that the Columbus Crew were the Aztecs uh, affiliate or the Az- Aztecs were the Columbus Crew's affiliate in uh, their 2015 season. And there had been a lot of rumor. Uh, it's got a lot about interest, and at one point when the Aztecs said they weren't coming back, it was speculated that PSV might actually invest in the USL club to help bring it back. Um, so that that really just kind of seeded more data that you know Columbus had an awareness of Austin, but it wasn't any kind of smoking gun.
2: Absolutely, and we we speak of we speak of PSV and the main guy Anthony Precourt. Uh, what is your relationship uh, like with uh, Mr. Precourt?
1: Um, I think handshake and a rope line. Um, you know, i I've, I've, I've like many supporters in Austin, I've been in the room with him maybe, you know, a couple of times uh since this whole thing started. Um uh, you know, he seems a nice, affable. He seems really passionate about coming to Austin. Um, but you know, he I haven't, you know, I haven't like gone out and you know, had wings or queso or anything.
3: Uh, and Josh, let's move away from the uh, uh, Anthony Precourt uh, talk here, and I want to talk about the city of Austin. What makes the city a fit for MLS?
1: Um, it is just a great soccer market. It is a great growth market. Um, it, we are we're fourth in TV ratings for the the previous World Cup. Uh, the previous two years in EPL, we were both sixth and third in uh, NBC uh, sports or ratings. Um, we're typically a top 10, top 12 uh, TV rating market for a lot of the big um, US men's and women's national matches. Um, large soccer community. And then on the, you know, the, the, flip side of that, Austin itself is the fastest growing market. You can pick any top 10 list in almost any category, and Austin is on it or near the top of it. Housing, jobs, growth, construction, housing, uh, technology. Uh, We're on the short list for Amazon's second headquarters. Um, Both Google and Facebook have very large presences here. Um, Apple's uh, second U.S. headquarters is based here in Austin. So Austin contains the demographics, the growth, the culture, the trends uh, that are highly valuable. MLS isn't moving here because of where Austin is today. Our metro area is about 2 million people now, and by 2030, it'll be 3 million people. Um, they're, They're seeing where the growth curve is and getting in early.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Josh. And when you talk about that, those EPL numbers, I mean, it shows an interest in soccer, but I mean, I think me and Jake can both say, I think you do too, Josh, that we know people that are interested in the Premier league, but seem not to make that like transition and enjoy MLS. I mean, what makes you think that, uh, that MLS and Austin could potentially capture, uh, those people as well?
1: Um, I mean, it's just the engagement we see when we do events. So, you know, we've gone out and, um, uh, kind of hung out at the various, uh, watch parties for EPL clubs. Uh, and there's large interest. So, you know, we have a, a really large uh, Tottenham hotspur, uh, and they the local chapter guys here is like, yeah, we're, we're down for like 50 plus, you know, season tickets once this club gets here. Um, I think it's also largely a, a demographic thing, you know, you're kind of older, uh, your older sports fans tend, and, and, and not making a broad generalization, but as a characterization, uh, your older kind of uh, diehard EPL guys tend to be still fall a little bit more into the Euro snob category. Um, but even they see the, the potential of, if we have an MLS team here in a 20,000 seat stadium, all of those clubs love to come to the US, and they're certainly going to want to come to Austin being such a big EPL market. So even if they could care less about MLS, they know that it creates the opportunity for their club to come here uh, over the summer. And then with the younger demographics, they are much more open. They grew up with MLS you know, the leagues. you know, 20 some years old, you know, they've, they've grown up in a country that has had a stable uh, soccer league. So they are much more on board with, you know, being an EPL fan because, you know, their parents were, or they, they got attracted to it, but also wanting to have a local club to support. Uh, and we've seen no real, huge divisiveness or, or rift where we're, you know, seeing EPL fans that are just like, Nope. Um, you know, I, I only like my EPL club and I could care less about MLS. And, you know, additionally, you know, we have a large Hispanic population. So the Liga MX team fans, uh, we have them as well that are just looking uh, to also have a, a hometown team to, um, to engage with.
2: And Josh, I mean, we just saw the logo come out. Um, what were your thoughts on that?
1: Um, it's you know it's it's certainly different, um, but I think that's good. Austin is a pretty diverse place, so there's a lot of different kinds of communities. There's a, a wide variety of demographics and interests. I think it would be near impossible to kind of uh, have a highly highly targeted mascoty type team name or something that was you know too too specifically culturally appropriated, um, and and get wide consensus on it um i think where you get with kind of going with the the oak branding creates a lot of flexibility we've locally we've already kind of nicknamed the club l tree um, uh, and that's that's starting to stick um, but i think it tells a good story um, psv hired a local design firm um, called the butler brothers um, they've done a lot of local big of uh, restaurants uh, museums uh, things like that Um, And these guys have a very specific methodology about how they approach branding work. uh, And I think it tells them the final result. Um, I don't think it's a a logo where you look at it and you kind of go, wow, this blew me away right away. Uh, It is really, I think, a more thoughtful, intellectual logo that, you know, takes a little bit of time to really see the nuance of what they've built, but also, I think, the flexibility. Um, And the biggest cachet of that branding is having Austin very prominent. Um, nobody is more sick of seeing another city FC club get rolled out than I am. Um, uh, that was not my, on my wish list of, of club names, but I get it. Austin is really the brand. Austin is the reason they PSD wants to be here. Um, Austin is an international city. You can go anywhere in this country, except maybe Columbus, Ohio, tell people you're from Austin, Texas. And they're like, Oh, I love that town. Or I had a great time there. Or, I went there for ACL or South by Southwest or F1, um, you know, you can put Austin on a shirt almost anywhere on this planet. And people will be like, wow, that's a cool place. I want to go there or I've been there.
3: Josh, um, has Austin and supporters been treated unfairly by the fans?
1: No. Um, no, I mean, generally, you know, we've, we've seen a mixed response. I mean, clearly, this is not the ideal way we would have gone about securing a, a team for Austin. So, I mean, even us here in Austin are like, well, we wish it would have played out a, a little bit differently. Um, but generally other supporters groups we've talked to are pretty excited about, you know, coming to Austin. Um, you know, while there's been, you know, a couple yellow scars and things like that up at various games, by and large, you know, the, the formal supporters groups of the league, um, you know, haven't haven't been overtly on, on one side of this issue or, or the next. And I think individuals within those groups are certainly going to have polarizing opinions. And I, I certainly respect that. Um but, you know, overall, I don't think we've seen any, you know, any more significant hostility than, you know, we've seen coming out of Columbus and as far as like social or online. Uh, and people that have gone places, I mean, we've, we've had people just this weekend in Austin FC shirts. And there's somebody at the Red Bulls game right now. Uh, somebody went down to the, you know, the Houston uh, match. And most people are like, hey, cool, can't wait to come to Austin next year
2: and we talked about Austin next year i mean you we see the mls team as potentially coming up there's also the austin bold which uh kind of been a little bit forgotten about even with their interesting name i mean how will that usl team uh add to the dynamic of the mls team coming to uh, now you go from having no soccer teams in austin to basically two right
1: yeah it's been the running joke we've gone from a a soccer desert to a, a riches riches of uh, soccer just everywhere um, I don't think I think it's good if you're a soccer fan in Austin, uh, because I think um, the, uh, the USL club is going to be under a lot of pressure to get out of the shadow of having an MLS club, especially since they're located way out past our airport on the eastern side of the city, uh, out past the airport um, in a town called Elroy, Texas. So that really should tell you all you need to know about what's surrounding the, the, <laughs> the breeze track out there. Um, so they're going to be under a lot of tra- pressure to attract people to come out there. Um, but they don't, the bar isn't very high. The expectations aren't very high um, and they already own the racetrack. They already own the bleachers. They could, they're reusing the same concession stands, bathrooms, uh, everything that or they use for other events they host out there. Um, if you're not familiar with Coda, uh, Circuit of the Americas, it's not only an F1 track, but also on the infield, they also have a like a small outdoor concert venue. I think it holds like 14,000 people, and it's like sit on the lawn or whatever. But the, the soccer pitch is right behind there, uh, and we already have an FC Barcelona Academy. So most of what's needed is already out there, which means the infrastructure cost isn't very high. If they get 1500 two. 2,000 people out there a match I think they're doing pretty well they don't need they don't need the USL club to be successful overall they just need to continue to socialize that going out Dakota for an entertainment venue is a, a thing um, however the MLS club is going to be under a microscope for the next few years as are the supporters groups you know every game is in a sellout If, uh, you know, the the marketing plan and ticket sales aren't well orchestrated and executed, um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of critics just waiting to pounce on it. So um, I think if you're a soccer fan, that's great because now you have two organizations that are really under the gun to put a a quality product in front of the fans and attract them to come out there.
3: Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Please tell our listeners where we can find you on Twitter and uh, any other thing you may want to plug away.
1: Yeah. Um, if you're interested in keeping tabs on the ongoing adventures of supporters in Austin, Texas for our, our new MLS club, Austin FC, um, you can check us out at MLS in Um, and you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all your other favorite social networks.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Josh. Hey, thanks so much guys. Appreciate it. So much to Andrew Erickson of the Columbus Dispatch, Morgan Hughes of Save the Crew, and Josh Babetsky of MLS in Austin. Uh, a lot of interesting and thoughtful insight provided by those three here on uh, this week's episode. Um, Armand, we, we've, we've talked about Save the Crew, we've talked about MLS to Austin. What what's your biggest takeaway from tonight's, uh, or I guess this week's discussion with these three?
2: Uh, it's tough because you never want to you, you never want to see a team relocated. I, I think that's one thing that it's become a norm in U.S. Uh, sports, and I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, I think we can all agree with with you with anyone on that the relocation is not really the the greatest thing in the world. But uh, like, like I said, I feel like I said this a couple months ago. I feel like the more I hear about it, the more likely it seems to happen. I know it might sound terrible to Crew fans but it's it's kind of tough i mean from our our view i mean all we hear is austin advancing austin advancing austin advancing we don't really hear anything that says all right uh, the crew have a massive win i mean that's that lawsuit the model law is going to be the ultimate decider i mean but i mean, outside of that, i just it, just it seems like it's coming we saw a logo come out like come on it has trees <laughs> like come on l tree i mean what it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, what, what are your takeaways, Jake?
3: My biggest takeaway from tonight, and it was actually highlighted by Alexi Lawless in his uh, halftime uh, speech, if you will, uh, uh, during the DC United Red Bull game. Listening to Morgan Hughes and listening to Josh Babetsky, you have two sides that are believe very confidently that you know you have the crew who believes they're going to keep the club, and you have. Popetsky, who ultimately believes that you know there's going to be soccer, MLS soccer in 2019, in uh, in Austin. And to me, I, I think MLS is doing a poor job. I agree with Alexi Wallace here. I think he, they're doing a poor job at selling hope to Crew fans that you know there's going to be a, a team there. I think it's unfair too that there's a, a, I mean, what a season ticket drive going on right now for. <laughs> The crew, to me, it just, like you said, rip, rip the Band-Aid off. You know? Say it's going to be one way or the other. Don't leave people on. It's unfair to uh, both fan bases what's going to happen to to that club um, come 2019. So, But with that, uh, that's it for this week's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Pod. Uh, follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. Follow Stephen Joderan. He is in Cuba right now, soaking up the, uh, the sun. So make sure you give him a follow at Stephen and follow myself at Jake Latrova. For Armand, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next week.